This podcast is proudly part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more Kaiju and Tokusatsu goodness, go to kaijuramenmedia.com. Him. Standing by. Complete. Greetings, heroes of the internet. I'm Nathan, and this is Henshin Men, a podcast that celebrates Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. In this installment, I'll be discussing Kamen Rider episodes 78 and 79. The terrifying Urichi Dogma plus Ghost Monsters! Kyufu no Uni Dogma plus Yure Kaijin! A small boy accidentally discovers an entrance to a shocker base in a graveyard, making him the target of the Kaijin Urichi Dogmas. With his parents dead and replaced with ghosts, he seeks help from the Kamen Rider Kid Corps. Will he and our heroes become food for Urichi Dogma's heinous children? <laughs> Alrighty then, after a long string of episodes where a bunch of tropes are getting reused, we're now getting something that actually shakes up the status quo here a little bit. It's kind of a two-episode lead-in to what I know will be the final arc of the show starting in episode 80. So I got to give credit to the show for easing people into this a little bit. It shows smart screenwriting. I do kind of wish there was a little bit more of stuff like this, but in order to have episodes that are kind of special and different like this, you do have to have some that are pretty typical. So in another episode that opens a bit like The Blob from the 1950s, we start with meteors crashing on Earth. Now, you would think this would be a case of finding an alien kaijin and then Shocker using it to their advantage, which kind of sort of happens in this. It's a bit unclear. But we also get another common Kenny because what else are we going to start this show off with, <laughs> right? And then we move on to... In Silver Age comic book fashion, and also, you know, like spy movie tradition, you know, especially at this point, it was still kind of new. We have bad guys who have a secret entrance to a secret base, and it's in a graveyard, because of course it's in a graveyard. Who would expect a bunch of bad guys to be hanging out with dead people? Maybe it's supposed to be kind of symbolic? Shocker is full of morally dead people, you know, or something like that. I don't know. Not going to read too much into it. But what I don't understand is how in the heck no one has accidentally flipped the switch that opens the, the apparently fake gravestone that marks the entrance to this base, this underground base. I mean, it's not like this switch is 
hidden away in some little cr- nook or cranny or whatever of another gravestone. No, 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 no. You can easily just pull it. From what I remember, it's been a couple days since I watched the episodes. It's just a little piece sticking up and you just pull it like a lever. How has someone else not accidentally stumbled across this? Just saying, shocker, not the best hiding place, even if it is in plain sight. But, you know, you do you and continue to fail to not take over the world. Plus, your days are kind of numbered anyway, because I've read it. Anyway, so the next scene that we have is something, my goodness, only one of two things are going to happen when this happens. And I don't think this episode, if I want to give it a big black mark, it's I don't think they treat this event with nearly the weight that it needed. Well, there's some, there's another big black mark I'm going to give to it, but it's related to this. This child sees his parents melt into chocolate syrup. Now, I mean, that that's probably what they used for the prop, but the idea is that their flesh and everything just melts into a puddle. They got murdered by Shocker because this kid saw them entering their secret base. This means he's either going to grow up spending thousands upon thousands of dollars in therapy or he's going to be Batman, the DC Comics character, not the first Kaijin for the show. Seriously. Those are your only two options, kid. I hope you've got the money. (laughs) So then, in true Silver Age supervillain fashion... Ambassador Hell says to leave Tachibana alone because Tachibana was around. He was visiting a gravestone of a family member of his. And Ambassador Hell says, oh, we can kill him at any time, whenever we want. And don't do it now because that'll get Common Rider's attention. Dude, if you could have killed him at any point, why haven't you? Again, going back to the running Henshin Men theory that Shocker is the worst secret society ever. There are reasons you don't rule the world, guys. And then we get to another part, and I honestly thought, I really did think that the show was going to surprise me. I was fooled. I'll give him credit, I was fooled. Because plot twist, the kid's parents are still alive because he goes and he does get help from Tachibana and the you know writer crew and the common canny force and all of that. But when they show up there, his parents are alive. How'd that happen? Even the kid's not sure. Now, Tachibana fairly quickly just assumes that this is some sort of a ruse and the kid wasn't lying to them because... And, you know, hear me out here. Or should I say hear Tachibana Tachibana out here? He says a child would not lie about his parents being killed. I'm not sure I would entirely agree with that. Mr. Tachibana, I'm pretty sure there are kids who would lie about their parents dying for whatever reason. Could be a myriad of things. Now, he seems like a good kid. Would he lie about his parents dying? Probably not. That I'm willing to go with. So maybe it's more like what good child would lie about his parents being killed. Or this could be a case of cultural differences. Such Behavior is far less common, shall we say, in Japan compared to America. Could be that. Could also be the fact that this was the 70s. Also a possibility. I could be wrong. 
Regardless, now we get to a question that was plaguing me because it's revealed that Urichi Dogmas, that's our Kaijin of the week, he basically looks like a sea urchin. That's the idea. He's a sea urchin. And he has little... I'm suddenly thinking of, if any of you listen to my, one of my other podcasts, the Monster Island Film Vault, you'll be familiar with the character of Dr. Dorf, played by my friend Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project. <laughs> he's always talking like this about his children. And by that, I mean the Matongo mushrooms that no one else besides him is willing to handle because they have mind-altering, mind-control, mutative properties. Well, I'm trying to figure out if Urichi Dogmas or Uni Dogmas, again, the 2B subtitles are incredibly inconsistent from episode listing to show itself. I'm very confused. And also the translations that I find on Wikipedia. But now the question becomes, is Archaijin from outer space? They never really say. With the meteor crash that we see at the beginning of the episode, you're basically led to believe that, yes, he is an alien. And we've seen this before. I think this has happened at least one other time in Kamen Rider where there was apparently an alien who crashed on Earth and Shocker took advantage of it and convinced said alien, you know, a Sajin, it should be a Sajin, not a Kaijin, into helping them out. They've also done some things where they've dug up stuff. We've had some fossil-related monsters before, and they've helped Shocker out, even though they weren't technically created by Shocker. So, yeah, they don't really explain that. There's a couple of things that don't quite get explained in this, which is too bad because there's a lot of interesting things happening in this episode and especially in the next one, which we'll get to momentarily. And then we get to one of my award contenders because it's a rare instance where Tachibana gets in on the action. He actually fights off some shocker goons. I wish this had gone on a little bit longer. It's nice being able to see Tachibana be, say, 2002 TMNT Splinter and not 1987 TMNT Splinter. Because, or movie splinter for that matter, because he should be awesome and not a dude in distress because he's not a damsel. I'm not sure dude in distress is, I mean, I like the alliteration, but anyway, moving on. So it's just really cool to see. It needs to happen more often, especially since he and the, uh, and the writer girls get captured in the next episode because it's what this show does. Anyway. But he is the mentor, so I'm just saying, if he's the mentor to the common Riders at this point in the franchise, I think he's got to display a little bit more competence. Just a little. Just a little. So, then we get... This is, honestly, the most interesting thing that happens in this episode. This is the part that, for me, helps to elevate this episode and break the status quo. Because before this, it was pretty standard. This was pretty standard common Rider fare. And I went into this expecting it to be standard. And then it, it, it surprised me a little bit here. There's another Kaijin. We find out in the next episode that his name is Crabat. Crab, like, you yeah, get it? Crabbat. It's it's odd. Not the biggest fan of the name. And the suit, I, we've seen some better suits. And I, the thing just looks like a very weird Kaijin of the week, even though he's not that. But we'll get to that. 
So he accosts Hongo and gets into a fight with him as Common Rider. And then basically says, I could kill you right now, but I'm not going to. I, you need to go take care of this problem with Urichi Dogmas. So he basically sells out Urichi Dogmas. And I'm like, what do we have going on here? And uh, my brain ran through some possibilities. Like, is he a rogue kaijin? So we kind of have a bit of an anti-hero thing going. I mean, anti-heroes aren't as big of a deal in Japan, especially at this time as they are in American superhero stories or just stories in general. I mean, this is the era of Dirty Harry, okay? So I was intrigued. I wanted to know more. And I, you know, I was here to find out about it. And now we get to a part. This is the other big issue that this episode has. The ghosts. Apparently the kid's parents, dead parents, when Tachibana came to meet them the next day, make sure everything was okay, or to see if the kid was telling the truth or whatever, the parents were apparently ghosts. And I'm like, are we going to explain what you mean by that? No? <sighs> okay. I still want to know. How? I mean, I know Shocker Goons and Shocker Kaijin are masters of the skies. You could have just said that. You could have just said that it's a pair of Shocker Goons in disguise. This is easy. This is really easy. Instead, I'm just confused. Other than the fact that apparently the kid's parents are dead. It's like that meme. My parents are dead. I'm telling you, he's going to be Batman. So, whatever on that one, I guess. And then we had another award candidate. This almost went to WTH because we had Ambassador Hell and our bad guys looking through security camera, monitoring things, and then suddenly it sh it switches to Hongo and he actually talks to him in there. I'm like, did you just find the right security camera and you're just kind of playing to it, saying hello? Because I'm not sure what's going on or... Is that one of your superpowers, Hongo? You can hack into video feeds. If you can, interesting. Very, very interesting. And then we got to a point that I'm amazed it took me nearly 80 episodes to think of this. But we see Shocker Goons using bows and arrows. It's fine enough, but then I realized, wait a minute. Why don't they use guns? When we see them armed, they're usually using things like swords and knives bows and arrows, but I've never seen any of them carry firearms. And I didn't realize just how odd that is. If your plan is to take over the world in the 20th century, you might want guns. Just saying. And then another kind of weird nitpicky detail that I saw. Kaijin is getting translated as monster. I don't think this is the first time this has happened, but it's still a better translation than Cyborg, as we found out with our friend, August Ragone. So, just a funny little observation. <laughs> and then, we get to a point where we find out that Richie Dogmas' goal is to find victims and feed them to, I'm calling them his children? The smaller little sea urchin things that he hides in boxes? And then, which give me a little bit of an original alien vibe, I'm just saying. And apparently he, he takes the women and children first rules very seriously because that's who he wants to feed to him first. You know, so he finds the kid and one of the writer girls and has every intention 
of tossing them to his kids. Because of course he is. <laughs> and then when Hongo shows up, he's wearing all white because that's what heroes do, right? If they're not wearing white hats, they're wearing just white clothes. Now, as usual, Hongo continues to be a snappy dresser. I'm impressed. Really like it. Nice job. And then, in true anime fashion, <laughs> Shoto anime fashion, we get our kaijin doing his trademark attacks, and he screams them out, and this time it's Dogma Fire! Well, it's been a while since we've seen a fire-breathing kaijin, so sure, bring that back. And, you know, Dogma Fire! That actually sounds like an, something you see in an anime or a video game. What, it, uh, what does it do? Does it convert you with its mighty flames, I suppose? I don't know. I'll talk to my Catholic friends, find out about that. Never mind. Moving on. And then we get something that this is a trope that the show has gotten fond of, and it's a water fight, but this time it's on the beach. So it's a nice variation on things, not a waterfall or anything, and it is a nice-looking beach. Japan, being an island nation, does have some very nice beaches. I've watched enough Japanese media to know this. One of these days I will visit, and it will be glorious. And then we get to another award candidate. This one I was thinking, well, it could have gone to WTH or it could have gone to, it could have gone to really any of them except for Best Line. But it's, we get a movie I haven't seen in a while, the Raida Drill Shoot or Shot, something like that. And he takes Richie Dogmas and he spins him into the air like a top and then he explodes. I mean, how else do you want to finish out an episode of Common Rider? I mean, something's got to blow up. It's usually the kaijin. And then we get to another part of the episode that was intriguing. <laughs> you know it's bad if in your you know, kid or family show, your boss for the bad guys gets fed up with their constant failures. I mean, if anything, Shocker Leader, you've been a way, way too nice here. If this had been anybody else at any other job, most of them anyway, you would have fired this guy a long time ago. And in the case of Shocker, you probably would have done that literally. I mean, literal fire. Just saying. A dogma fire? You dogma fired him? Anyway, moving on. So they're not looking good for Ambassador Hell. And he has a new favorite, which is this mysterious new kaijin. Which, again, you find out in the next episode, Crabat. Crabbat. Crab, Crabbat. 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 Ribbit. Anyway. And then we got a candidate for best line, which is, this is apparently the oath of the common Rider Kid Corps, you know, common Candy Force. And this is as much resolution. This was the kid whose parents died. This is as much resolution as we get to his situation because the kid's an orphan. I don't know if he has any other family. And this is the last we see of him, which is he takes the little oath. And for any of you out there who want to join the Common Rider Kid Corps, or if you have children of your own who would like to join the Common Rider Kid Corps, Common Candy Force, here's your oath. I swear to work hard as a member of the Common Rider Kid Corps to uphold justice and peace. Not the most exciting or original thing I've seen, but I've also seen a heck of a lot worse. It's no Green Lantern oath, though. Just saying. 
So that wraps up our first episode for this week. Let's move on to our next one. Ambassador from Hell, his fearsome true form, Chikoku Taishi Hyofu no Shotai. Ambassador Hell is sentenced to death for his failures by the Shocker leader after leaking word to Kamen Rider about Shocker's next attack. Longo is inexplicably invited to the execution and saves Hell. But can this foe turn friend be trusted, or is this an elaborate ruse by Shocker? Spoiler warning, it totally is. I've talked before on the show, both Travis and I have talked about this before, that we do come to episodes of this surprisingly long show that feel like finales in some way, shape, or form, whether that be a season finale, series finale, or whatever. And this is another one. This is the episode where we have the turning point. This is the end of the current arc that they've been doing since Hongo came back. And now we're going to be moving into a new status quo. And this is the transitional episode. And I have to say, it's surprisingly good because it does shake things up pretty hard. Now, as I mentioned before, there was disagreement with the subtitles on everything, but that's neither here nor there. I've already mentioned it. Moving on. So we have a really great opening scene in this, which I will talk a little bit more in the awards, but let's just say Hongo's getting proactive with his approaches to dealing with Shocker, particularly in this episode. And then we, you know, obviously we see a scene where Hell, Ambassador Hell, is basically captured by his own men, accused of treachery, and as usual, nobody suffers traitors well. I do not suffer traitors well, and Shocker especially does not suffer traitors well. And I gotta give credit. I was pretty convinced that Ambassador Hell really was betraying Shocker at this point. It just made sense with him being, seemingly anyway, jealous of Krabat and feeling like he was going to be replaced. How it doesn't exactly pan out, I'm not sure. All I'm, It's an incredibly elaborate ruse if that's the case almost like it was done for the sake of the audience to throw them off and maybe they changed their mind at the last minute that and decided he wasn't really the traitor or i'm not sure exactly what was going on again if i'm going to give a black mark to the episodes that would be part of it but then and i can write this off as just being part of the ruse but we've seen shocker do stupid stuff like this before again you guys don't rule the world for a reason which is shocker literally sends an invitation to hell's execution to ambassador hell's execution who does this is anyone please if any of you out there have ever been invited you got a you got a literal invitation in your mailbox or in your email inbox saying, you are cordially invited to so-and-so's execution, please let me know because this is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. I mean, how do you make an invitation card to an execution? Any of you graphic designers out there, blow my mind and actually make that happen. I will totally meme it if you do. But otherwise, I'm kind of looking at this and I'm thinking, this is so stupid, I don't know why they would do it. So Hongo hashtag, it's a trap. I... You should know this, but he goes along with it anyway. 
Big dang hero time, I guess. I mean, Shocker knows where he lives, apparently, and that he's common Rider. So you would think they would, I don't know, be planting a bomb where this place is. Well, actually, I think they've tried that. Shocker's tried a lot of things. And then they've uh, there's a bunch of things they haven't tried that probably would have been more successful, but we're moving on. We get more <laughs> potentially insensitive costuming for Shocker where they have executioners dressed in black, as you would expect, and their hoods are shaped like cones, which look a little suspiciously like they're part of the clan, but it is Shocker after all. They are beyond evil, so let them dress like that if they want. And then they plan on going old school with this, really old school. They're going to execute Ambassador Hell... By guillotine. Yeah, gotta love that. We're doing this French Revolution style. <laughs> it's the only way to do it, right? I'm amazed, though, that they were able to fit Ambassador Hell with that big old headdress into this. By the way, I should mention that this episode did open with a kaijin fight on the beach at night with Kamen Rider trying to take out what looked like a snake kaijin. And that's the thing that apparently was spoiled, was leaked by Ambassador Hell to them. He let them know that that was going on, and that was the action that made the Shocker leaders suspicious, supposedly, that Hell was betraying them. And I bring that up because it's it will be important later. And then, predictably... Hongo decides to help Ambassador, uh, to save Ambassador Hell. And then we get a nice little action sequence. Hell is able to escape from the guillotine inexplicably, almost. And we get some wild camera angles. It's from above. Uh, no, excuse me. It's from below, I should say. I'm thinking of another episode. It's from below with him fighting the goons on a catwalk the, on the side of a building. So nice job there. I'm appreciating the it points experimental cinematography you remember making a movie which exciting news Toei is going to be releasing the two original Kamen Rider show movies on their YouTube channel with subtitles as part of the lead up to Kamen Rider Black Sun that should be exciting and yes they have been added to the docket for Henshimen and I'm hoping to get Travis back for both of them and then we get to a sequence and I'm wondering, because I know Krabat is going to be a recurring villain after this. I'm not sure I'm going to like him as much as the other ones just because he looks less like a main villain and more like a monster of the week. But he flies, and he sounds like a jet airplane. You know, when he does that. It's Musasa Beto all over again. But admittedly, not as funny. If you don't know what I'm talking about... Go back through the archive, find an episode called Five Nights at Squirrelies. That episode is one of the funniest things that Travis and I have worked on because that flying squirrel kaijin is ridiculous. And how does Kamen Rider stop Crabats? Well, he's flying around like a jet plane. He has a head-on collision with him, which was another award contender. Both of these were for WTH. But all of that to say... Common Rider is able to save him. And then in what has to be, honestly, one of the most surreal scenes in the, that I've seen in this show, Ambassador Hell is hanging out 
in the racing club. And it's the original actor with his Serpentor-looking cosplay in that set. It's nuts to think that this is what we've come to. Then, in the next scene, suddenly Tachibana and the Rider Girls start remembering continuity. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We normally have a memory hole for a lot of stuff like this. And going from one episode to the next, stuff doesn't necessarily carry over. But, oh my gosh, a couple of them did. And they reference back to the previous main commanders with Colonel Zoll and Dr. Shinigami. And how they had monster forms that they would turn into and things like that. And, you know That they were actually kaijin in disguise. And then, holy crap! Predictably, this is all a ruse. Ambassador Hell changes, and it turns out, dun dun dun, the kaiju we saw at the beginning of the episode, Ratlander, it's actually him. Holy crap! By the way, the Ratlander suit looks really good, and I consider that one for best special effect. It's one of the better looking kaiju I've seen. Seems to be a thing. The kaiju for the commanders tend to get really nice looking suits wonder if it's because you know, they're basically final bosses, so they want to give them a little bit more care. And I just wrote down in my notes when that happened. It, I've made this joke before, but now Ambassador Hell truly is Serpentor. In case you don't know who Serpentor is, he's a villain from the original G.I. Joe. He, he wears a snake costume. So his, I mean, he literally looks like a guy with his face inside of a cobra mouth. It's wild, and I love it. Not here. Here is just a giant snake. And then, as I hinted at when I was discussing the previous episode, Tachibana and the Rider Girls get captured again and buried up to their necks in sand on a beach. Because that's how we do things. Beach fights and sand. I guess we can bet that they're safe from Darth Vader at the very least. And it's at this point that I realize just how elaborate this ruse really was. I mean, this is wild. And I don't know if it was done to fool Kamen Rider, to fool Hongo, or if it was done to fool the audience. Seems like they were putting more effort into fooling the audience than they were the character, because there's some in-universe inconsistencies here. There's actions that are taken as part of this ruse that nobody outside of Shocker would know about. So why are they being done? Oh, for the audience. Right. Got you, show. Got you. Because... Why would we need to see the shocker leader go to the trouble of capturing Ambassador Hell and accusing him of treachery if this was all just a ruse? Again, if I'm going to throw some black marks on the show on this episode, that would be part of it. So again, I think yeah, I guess you could get kind of intellectual about this and get a little bit I don't know uh, metatextual about it and say that this was all done to fool the audience. And not the characters. Kind of weird that they're, you know, they're that self-aware. It's kind of funny if you stop and think about it. And then we get a nice beach fight again. Yeah, uh, the final boss battle, we'll say, between Kamen Rider and Ambassador Hell, who turns into Ratlander. But we'll talk a little bit more about that. They apparently have things that, well, when Kamen Rider, when Hongo saves them, he just starts throwing stuff around and I guess they're mines or something. I And then they just explode underneath shocker guns. I wasn't sure what was going on, but it was him and Taki and it was supposed to be this 
big dang hero moment. And I'm just like, when did you guys set all of this up? Huh? I don't understand it. But, you know, as I've mentioned several times, I read a lot of Silver Age comic books. So you get a little bit used to absurdities like this. You kind of learn to go with it. Same thing with 70s Tokusatsu. And then for anyone who was interested, this is Ambassador Hell's final words before he falls down in his quote-unquote human form and explodes. Shocker forces are eternal! Ah, Boom. And then we get some wild stuff after that. I'm surprised I didn't write this down in my notes. Maybe I just thought, this is so crazy, I'll remember it, so I don't need to write it down. But then the Shocker leader blows up Shocker. He just gets rid of it and speaks in you know a big booming god voice somehow i don't know how he could do that or if it was a telepathic thing or whatever but he says i'm done with shocker i'm blowing up shocker and i'm going to start over so we technically saw the end of shocker in this or at least the end of shocker as we know it end of an era in this show hot dang starting next episode we get gel shocker gel shocker it's g e l i'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it but I guess it's Shocker rebranded. I haven't watched episode 80 yet, so we'll find out when we get there. But there you go. The end of the penultimate story arc of this. We are now truly in the home stretch for the original Common Rider. It's taken a little longer than I expected or would have wanted, but we're here, heroes of the internet. We are here. Let's get to it. But first, we got to do the awards for this week. The awards that here at Ancient Men, we give out to some outstanding features of the episode of the TV episodes or movies that we cover each week. First up, we have the Henshin Kick Award for the best stunter fight scene. I gave this to the Common Rider versus Ratlander round 2 fight at the end of the second episode. In fact, I believe, looking at this, I gave all the awards <laughs> to stuff from the second episode. It was definitely the better of the two. But yeah, so there was some emotional potency in that. There was a lot of buildup. This is, again, one of those big boss fights. There is the, unra- the revelation of the ruse and everything, some outstanding choreography, a really great setting, a tremendously well-designed kaijin suit. Hats off to that. I don't know. I would say it's better than the final fight with Dr. Shinigami because that one, from what I remember, it was a little bit of a letdown. Is it better than the Wolfman fight for Colonel Zoll? It's been a little too long, but I don't know if I would go that far. But it's still pretty good. And then we have Toku for the best special effect. This is something, honestly, I don't think this happens very often in this show. And it's been a really long time since we've seen it before. And I honestly would love to see it more often. Because it does harken back to the horror roots that Common Rider had in those first 13 episodes in particular. And that is, at the beginning of this episode, when Common Rider is tracking down Ratlander, he goes into a room, and his eyes are glowing red. It's amazing imagery, and they act like spotlights. So it's these red-eye spotlights, and it's a great image. Common Rider looks 
truly intimidating when he's doing this. And like I said, it's something that should have been done before, uh, more often. And it, I think it shows that with that helmet, Hongo probably has enhanced vision. I think that's been mentioned before and whatnot, but this really, I do think, confirms it. And it's, it's a very comic book image. And then we have Kamenacha for the best line. There were some contenders, but I'm giving it in part because this is his last episode, but I'm giving it to Ambassador Hell, and he says something. This is kind of the exclamation point, shall we say, on some things he was saying while at the racing club. And it just seems like a very comic booky supervillain thing to say, which is, what is world domination worth if your leader doesn't trust you? <laughs> it's kind of applicable to real life, but it's also something you would really only hear a supervillain ever say. Because when you're a supervillain, you kind of want to be at the, at the top of the heap, you know, at the top of the hierarchy. <laughs> That's really the best place to be. And then WTH, what the headshot for the craziest moment. One of my favorite awards here. I've already talked about it. Admittedly, I kind of added this last second because I realized as I was looking over the awards that I forgot to put this one in here. But this really is the one to talk about because I wasn't exactly expecting this, which is the end of Shocker. Or at least, like I said, the end of Shocker as we know it. Shocker leader blows up his own stuff. Restarting. He's rebooting his own evil organization hopefully it's a little bit better at what it does this time around or at the very least he blew up the japanese division i should clarify he blew up the japanese division because shocker's an international organization i'm guessing he didn't blow up all of them that would be a heck of a waste i'm guessing the japanese branch is just particularly bad so it's like a cancer i guess you you eliminate the cancerous cells and that was the japanese branch so I know things are going to get shaken up in the next episode. Which, now I'll mention that after we take care of the next segment, which is Minute to Henshin It! This is the part of the show where I give my final thoughts in one minute or less. On my mark, get set, go. So yes. These were, I would say, a pair of standout episodes because they broke the status quo. I've mentioned that. We are now in another new era of this show. I am truly impressed with the show that went on for this long, basically for two years, two seasons, when something like this would have normally gone for one, that they are able, sometimes at the right time, sometimes perhaps a little long, a, a little long, after there was, they should have done it, but they're changing the status quo, shaking things up in order to keep things interesting because as Travis and I have mentioned before, particularly with television at this era, well, in this era, things can get a little bit formulaic, but a lot of times what people don't want to admit is that formula is often what makes a show a hit from week to week, especially when it's this long. Ta-da! Anyway, as I was saying, I do have a little bit of an announcement to make, some housekeeping. I will not be doing next the next episode alone. Unfortunately, it won't be Travis, but I will be joined by the hosts of That Other Toku Podcast. That is the actual title of their show. 
They wanted to do a collaboration. I said, all right, pick a pair of episodes from the original Common Rider. You can come on and talk about them with me. And they chose 80 and 81. So we will be discussing the beginning of the Gel Shocker, Gel Shocker, however you're supposed to say it, arc with some wonderful guests. Can't wait to talk about it. In the meantime, thank you for listening to Henshin Men, a tokusatsu appreciation podcast. You can find links to all of our social media in the description of this episode. You can listen to more of Travis on the Kaiju Weekly Podcast and listen to more of me on the Monster Island Film Vault and our sister show on the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network, The Power Trip. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser, or all of them. Just, (laughs) if you got all of them, leave reviews and five-star ratings on all of them. They will get read on the air. And until next time, what am I going to say? Join my book club to read The Art of Shocker by Henshin Zhu. This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.